0: Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Well, hello, Esther Rose McCamp. Welcome to the show. Can you start by telling us a bit about yourself and your family?
1: All right. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Esther Rose McCamp, and I am a mom of four lovely boys, um, currently ages 6, 9, 10, and 12. And I am a Na- uh, Miami native. I have lived in Miami for most of my life. I attended the University of Miami where I thought I was going to be pursuing um, a career as a doctor, um, but instead found myself in A public health um, program at the Florida International University where I was interested in health promotion, disease prevention, and that road kind of led me down a path of becoming a health educator and later developing my business Metro Mommy Agency where I currently now provide birth doula support, postpartum doula support, and run an agency to provide um, direct services as well as um, maternal health consulting and training and speaking as well.
0: So that is me in a nutshell. Doing all the great things. That's what it is. <laughs> well, you have um, many stories to share with us today. So let's uh, start from the start start from the start. Let's start. What? What? Let's just start. Can you tell us a little about um, your first pregnancy?
1: Yeah, so my first pregnancy, fresh out of pausing my program for my master's program, I actually got married and was able to get pregnant rather quickly, I want to say, within a couple of months. And I was actually able to hear for the first time, um what I thought was my baby's heartbeat. Um, but I'm sorry, I, I was planning to hear my baby's heartbeat, but I was unable to to hear it during my first ultrasound at about six or so weeks. And I was told then that I was going to have a blighted, I had a blighted ovum. And what that meant was it just wasn't the conditions necessary to have a viable pregnancy. So I was actually aware in advance that I was gonna be miscarrying. And so um, thankfully I got that care from a pregnancy health clinic that actually provided counseling and support um, to me and my family at the time. And, you know, I was sent home. And so in being sent home I had the option to kind of wait for the blighted ovum to pass or to go to the hospital to kind of initiate what, what's called like the DNC or, um, you know, take any medication for it. And so I decided to stay home as long as I could. And um, it was like really bad cramping, worse than I've ever felt in my life. And, you know, I've never really been hospitalized before. I actually had a very healthy. Um, lifestyle that I was living at the time. So I never really needed to go to the hospital for anything. And so my first time I had to actually go to the hospital for that reason, you know, it was a very pleasant experience. um, But within an hour of arriving there and being, you know, in the bed, you know, everything kind of passed. And during my time there, actually that first hour, I never even interacted with the doctor, right? So I was waiting about an hour and then when the doctor finally came in she was telling me that i still needed to do this procedure um even though everything had passed and she ended up um kind of saying and threatening to me that if you don't do it you're gonna bleed out and you could die and all of these horrible things and i was just like i feel fine now actually i'm actually ready to go home (laughs) so that initial um I think need to speak up for myself in that moment, you know, was challenged by her um, idea that, you know, you're a provider. But it was like I challenged her because I know my body. I know what I felt and I trusted that I would be fine. And I decided to just leave, you know, and go home. So after that, you know, there's this grieving process you have to go through. going through the what ifs, what could have been, and what can be, right? And um, I want to say within a couple of months, I was pregnant again, you know? So during my second pregnancy, because of that negative experience at the hospital setting, I said, you know what, I think I want to give birth outside the hospital. Let's see what we can do. And in between that time of the miscarriage and this first birth, I actually watched my niece be born and what happened was i was called to just join the laboring process at a birthing center and she was having a water birth my sister-in-law and i just remember watching her birth her baby beautifully breathing there not being a lot of sound or negative energy in the room it was very dim in the room you have the midwives at hand Um, my brother kind of supporting her behind um in the pool and it was just a beautiful experience and that just kind of resonated with me and made me feel like if she could do it i can do it you know so my search began and i actually chose a different birthing center where we had a, a midwife who's pretty well known as like a very great um, preceptor, very knowledgeable, but she was wheelchair bound. And the only other option I had was someone that I didn't feel connected to. Um, And so I felt mostly connected to to her and her name was Janice. And I ended up also hiring a doula who served uh, the birth center clients with childbirth education and doula services. And she was, you know, integral, her name is Naima. Um, And she was integral to helping me have a really wonderful experience the first time. So what ended up happening the day of was me arriving at the birth center, feeling like, okay, I think I'm, you know, it's ready, I'm time, you know, it's the time to get going here. And I was still smiling and laughing and my doula was like, "Girl, you're still smiling and laughing. You're not ready yet." <laughs> and so I was sent down the stairs and out of the building to get to walking. You know, so I was walking it out, walking around these railroad tracks because um, it's close to like a gas station and railroad tracks, and just walking, 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 going up and down the stairs to see what we could do to kind of pick pick things up and speed things up and before i know it like it was more than just me and my partner at the time it was now my mom was there you know his mom was there his dad was there all of a sudden it became this whole uh invite (laughs) party invite that i didn't plan for like an aunt that i wasn't really that close to was there and His grandmother was there. It was just so many people. And I just distinctly remember just travailing for a while. You know, this is a 20 um, hour labor that I had. And um, at a certain point, I remember my midwife telling me, hey, some of y'all gotta go (laughs) because, and I didn't know this until later, and until I was able to see the pictures for myself, my, my um, doula actually had the pictures and this is how long ago it was, right? This is 2011, okay? And so she had the pictures on CD for me. <laughs> so take a look at, that's how long ago it was. And when I looked at the pictures, I saw my mom um, who, you know, I was born via C-section. And so her birthing experience to, to date, she does not attribute that C-section as like a very positive experience for her. Um, It was very different from the other two vaginal births that she had with my older brothers. And you could not tell me that during the laboring process that she was doing anything other than praying for me, right? I felt like, and I felt like this for a long time during our relationship that we were very like, Difference, right? And and there was always like a space and a gap that limited the depth of our relationship. And it wasn't until I saw those pictures of her feeding me food, you know, while I'm sitting in the tub, you know, that I realized, wow, my mom was, was here for me, you know. Um, and and it, and it just meant so much, right, to be able to capture those those images and that picture. Um, and I just, know I just really appreciated that. But long story short, the plan was to give birth in the tub, water tub. Um, but my husband at the time, his big toe pulled the plug and all the water came down. So I was unable to have a water birth. I had to get out of the tub. And I ended up in a squatting position with my doula seated on the bed behind me. And I literally squatted my baby out. Um, baby was OP, so he came out with his hand, like, in a fist on his forehead. <laughs> so I had to handle that whole circumference of his head plus this little fist that he would not remove in ultrasounds or during the birth. And and that was my first birth experience. I just remember my midwife going to town and going to bat for me and saying, Hey, all need to get out of this room. And then things kind of like picked up and, and that's how I was able to to go ahead and give birth, um, like that. So that was the first one.
2: <laughs> what an amazing, an amazing gift of birth photography. I know that it is, um, I don't want to call it a luxury, but it is definitely, um, Something that everybody might not necessarily see as something that's one important, two, um, accessible, but that helps you piece together some very important things, right? Because in our birth minds, like what we think is happening and what actually <laughs> happened, while you're like in this different world, um, is it's just simply amazing. Like, and, it, and even when you reflect on that, you're like, okay. Girl had my back. (laughs) Like, like I thought she wasn't in it, but she was in the trenches. Okay. So, yes, Mm -hmm. I love that. Absolutely. It's definitely something for people to consider when they're thinking about, like, their registries. And I know that we say this a lot, like, thinking about who we actually want to be there and what it takes to get them there, you know, Um, whether that be your best friend that lives across the country. But it's, you know, so many different things go into it, other than. Can we get a crib can we get the crib we want right um versus a crib that works <laughs> okay. and so um i really want people to start thinking about this so it's nothing wrong with wanting the things you want in a space for your child but really considering um how we put our resources into different parts of our birth and how it could really um affect long term your parenting journey, your birth experience as a whole, your family as a whole, um, when they all come together in support of you and your family's growth, like you can't even, you can't put a dollar amount on it.
1: Absolutely. And I cannot agree with you more. When I'm like consulting with my clients, we spend a lot of time describing who exactly needs to be a part of their pregnancy support team. Because when I say so many random people showed up at that birth that I did not intend to have them there, and I actually had no plan or expectation for their role there, and it impacted everything, um, even in terms of energy, right? Because I had, um, for example, (laughs) my partner's grandmother She recalls when she tells the story of that birth, the first time she's ever seen a birth like that, the first time she's ever experienced an out-of-hospital birth, that during that moment, she was so scared for me. She was fearful. She was shouting. She was like, you all, she needs to just go to a hospital after a certain point. And I can only imagine the impact that would have made if I really had my other ears on to hear all of that, how that could have negatively impacted, um, or even prolonged, the laboring process. So I tell, pe- I always tell people, be cautious. Make sure they're they're about it, bought it <laughs> for your birth plan before you invite them into that space. Absolutely.
2: And some people need to know when it's their their part is done, right? Because you might be great in early labor. I might need that high energy, the you know, the fun and giggles and all the things. But I want you to tap out. <laughs> When your ministry is over, <laughs> yeah. I need you to tag yeah, out. No, who's gonna. time to tag out or, or start to minimize who's there. Like, let me give some space. And I think that that's, I mean, you can write a book on just that alone.
1: Yeah, I probably will. There you go. about <laughs> some
2: other stuff. All right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk to us a little bit what postpartum was like. Um, the immediate postpartum. And then once you all got home, how 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 did that un- unfold?
1: Yeah, I, I always think about the quote um, that a doula said that shows up in some of my hypnobirthing curriculum and, and just in conversations with other doulas. And it's this idea that, you know, the mom, the birthing person, they're always going to remember how they were made to feel during birth, right? And I think the same can be said about postpartum. You're always going to remember what you struggled with most what was most taxing what was challenging and what i can distinctly remember is being out of sorts emotionally feeling the baby blues feeling overwhelmed um, but also having family members who felt like babies shouldn't cry in the middle of the night and when you're met with that expectation the kind of pressure that you feel as a mom, right? And even just wanting to equate that, if the baby's crying, then I'm a bad mom, that I'm doing something wrong, right? When in fact, it's really, this is how this baby is communicating right now. Maybe it was a missed cue. Maybe I was actually really exhausted and took a little longer, and that's why the baby's crying. But I had these really unrealistic expectations in the postpartum period, and I remember going back and forth with my mom about it because she had this expectation that baby shouldn't cry same with my dad and i just remember day three or so again when like the peaks of your hormones are where they're at right and feeling like overwhelmed and just boohoo crying it out (laughs) that's what i remember and um feeling frustrated and consulting with my dad, I'm like, I just don't know how to like get through to helping her understand what I'm going through right now. And I felt like I needed to try to change people and change their understanding of this process. Um, And part of this was mainly because I lived in their home after the birth. Um, So it kind of like heightened it, right? But also again, having the relationship that we had post cesarean, feeling like I was to blame for the cesarean, you know, Um, and not having that emotional support like I really wanted to have. Um, That's what I remember. Um, And I remember talking to my dad and saying, hey, you know, what can I do about this? And he was like, your issue is you feel like you need to battle every time and change her. When in fact you need to sometimes just concede, let her say what she has to say and keep it trucking, and do your own thing. When you feel like you need to just do your own thing, it's okay. (laughs) So that was freeing for me. Freeing for me because, you know, there's no book on how to do this. Even though there's lots of books, there's no books on how you're gonna do it and how you're gonna do it in the environment that you were created to, to do it in, or designed to do it in, or positioned to do it in. There's no book on that. <laughs>
0: nope. There is no book on that, on your experience. There are lots of guides and and stories to reflect in, which are great, and I think great to use about like, oh, I like that piece. That might make sense for me. And then also knowing it could shift. Um, but being able to take the parts that make the most sense for you, Um and that goes back to like the advice that your dad gave, like, and that's, you know, for many people, whether it be family members or weird people on the street who want to give you advice, like <laughs> let them say what they're going to say, but take the pieces that you need and that feel aligned for you. And that's it because it's your experience at the end of the day. And it can definitely be tough when we're like de- describing mother-daughter relationships or mother-parent relationships. Um and we we have talked a little bit here. I mean, with our clients about like, do you know your own birth story? Have you had that conversation? If you're able to, with your parent, to then dissect some of the things that might come up for them and for you for your own birth experience, for your own parenting journey, because if they are going to be a part of your village, either said or unsaid things can come up. And how are you both going to work through that, reflect on that, process through that and being like, yes, I love you. This is our relationship. Your relationship might change, but this is my child and this is what I want to do. How are you going to support me in that? Um, And yeah, sometimes having those conversations early, if you're able, can be helpful for later. So baby number one is here tell us about your second pregnancy
1: okay so second pregnancy I don't know if there's any second time moms listening in right now but (laughs) you kind of approach it from okay how do I make it better right so I'm all about hashtag birth better like how do I make this better um for me it meant taking everything that my midwife had originally told me to do making sure I tried to work on that a little bit more some of that included increasing like how I was going to eat in terms of nutrition and eating healthier and things like that being more physically active and that helped tremendously and then also minimizing right <laughs> the number of people at the birth so I was very you know cautious to say hey I only want these two people there and I felt like it needed to be a sisterly kind of thing so I had my sister-in-law there both my sister-in-laws actually were there because um, I don't have sisters. And that's the kind of energy that I wanted around me, right? So that previous you know, birth experience that I saw from my sister-in-law, I wanted her to help kind of guide me. And then for my sister-in-law that was not um, pregnant at the time, um, and also I want to say single at the time, giving her the opportunity to see how birth can go was really important to me so that second pregnancy all i distinctly remember is i did want to have a water birth as well and this time we were in my midwife's home and she has like several rooms kind of set up the inflatable pool and everything but this baby was difficult (laughs) um difficult in the sense that it was op again op position which means also put posterior back of the baby's head is on my spine so i'm feeling all of the back labor and i mean we i feel like we tried every single position possible in that pool outside of the pool and i still ended up on um, sideline for this um for the baby to be uh, birthed with support from my sister-in-law who again supporting that back lower back area, sacrum area with some heat, with some massage. Um, and I just remember seeing my other sister-in-law kind of looking at me and encouraging me, but also feeling nervous herself because she's like, "This is the first time I'm seeing this. I can't believe I'm seeing this. So that's kind of what I distinctly remember. And I don't know, there was no, no judgment zone, but there was some guilt there of like feeling that my second born was, um, going to be a challenge. Like I kind of went and assumed that. And I feel like of all my sons, like our relationship is is the hardest. Um, Because I don't know if it's because we were born in the same month, he's a Leo, I'm a Cancer. I don't know what it is. (laughs) That Leo energy is, you either love it or you don't, you know? But it's been a challenge, I'm not gonna lie. Like all my kids are very different and um, they challenge different parts of me and different, ways of loving them and ways of, you know, supporting them, and even, even ways of disciplining them is very different, um, depending on their personality. So, um, but that's what I remember. It was, it was a challenge. So I don't, uh, ever forget to let folks know about back labor and how to minimize that. And one of the bits of advice that I kind of wish I did take from my midwife at that point was to get chiropractic care. Um, because it definitely, um, likely would have helped tremendously in terms of positioning. Um, and also feeling like maybe I should have hired a doula, so I didn't have to, you know, deal with all of that per se, but it was a shorter birth about, um, I want to say, because I had done, I want to say about, yeah, 12 hours, it was a 12 hour labor. Yeah. So we, we, we improved
0: in time. <laughs> hopeful. Always hopeful good. about improving on time when you have multiples. <laughs> um, I do love this aspect of um, sharing your experience in the same way that you got to share it with your sister-in-law. And I think there's so much power. I mean, obviously, with, with this podcast, we, we are in tune to that. But so much power in being able to see birth in its reality. Um, can be such a like transformative experience for someone who either has had children, like what that can do for them and their own healing, but also for introducing to someone who hasn't yet had that for themselves and might be considering it. Like this is what support can look like. This is what, what birth looks like um, can really help when trying to acknowledge, like what am I fearful about? with birth? What questions do I have? When you're able to actually see it, you're like, oh, that's what that looks like instead of what, you know, media or other folks have said to you that have created images in your head. But being able to see the reality of it can be such a powerful thing. So I love that that was something that you wanted to continue um, for your own family.
1: Yeah, I didn't even realize it until I said it. I was like, wow, it was seeing my sister-in-law that you know, empowered me to want to take this route. And, you know, I did allow her, my other sister-in-law to come into the picture to experience it herself. So yeah, yeah. I'm really glad to said it Did you get your
0: water birth this time around?
1: <laughs> the second time no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like two
0: births <laughs> And what was like reflecting on your your first your postpartum with your other son. What was postpartum like with this? And was there any intentionality that you had done to prepare for that?
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I was that mom that took the childbirth education classes, took the breastfeeding classes. And I did feel strongly that I wanted additional breastfeeding education. So I would be baby wearing or breastfeeding my baby on one side and the other hand would be holding a book about breastfeeding. So I just continued to expand my knowledge on breastfeeding so that I can go at it a little you know, more proactively. And um, it was a little difficult. I don't know if it's because I set that intention for there to be difficulties. I don't know if that was it, but it was a little different um, and somewhat harder, but then a lot smoother a lot sooner right so i would say somewhere around that second third month you get into a flow um you kind of start to you know navigate things a little bit thankfully none of my kids had tongue ties or any lip ties so i feel like i was more so trying to make sure that i made time for people um in that second pregnancy um, sometimes I can be a little isolating cause you know, I'm a cancer, crap, stay in Michelle when I need to. <laughs> um, but I did find myself getting out and about a little sooner than the first time around, which was really helpful. Cause I do thrive on community and engaging with, you know, other women, women of color, especially, and you know, experiencing motherhood with
0: them, you know, for sure. Um, for sure. So, you're now with two. Life is rocking and moving. Tell us about the next pregnancy. Yeah, next pregnancy was kind of like a whoops. (laughs) I mean, they kind
1: of all are a whoops. (laughs) But it was really like a whoops because the first two, right, were 18 months apart. So I felt that. I would never (laughs) recommend that on purpose, per se. I mean, people are going to do whatever they want to do, but I just personally was like, girl, that was too close. Um, But baby number three was about 21 months apart. And the difference here was that we weren't living in Florida. So Florida has this luxury where you can have a licensed midwife, a certified professional midwife, a CNM, deliver your baby here in Florida. Not the case in Alabama at the time. And this is circa, so the the second baby was circa 2012. Um, The third baby was actually circa um, 20, I should know the date, right? 2014. (laughs) Okay. So 2014, I'm living in Alabama at the time. Alabama that we know has some terrible birth outcomes, terrible race relations. And we're watching what's going on in our country, right? Like, are we not watching what's starting to happen? And I remember feeling super low in that pregnancy. One, because we were back with my parents again. Two, we were paycheck to paycheck situation. Three, now I'm, I have to be five months pregnant, trying to live in another state where I have no family, no friends, no support, know nothing about Alabama. And I'm a Miami girl through and through. So I like my warm weather, okay? And I was like, not into this, hey, we're gonna spend what? Late winter? What, snow? What? What are we doing right now? It was so different. So I struggled um, emotionally. I struggled mentally in the sense of like really high anxiety about everything. I wasn't sure about anything. And I didn't know what to expect. When I first got there, we had to live in a hotel, right? For like a month. So applying for Medicaid, where is it going to to go? <laughs> like, what is the mailing address that I'm going to put down here? You know who is going to provide care for me here? Because the biggest issue in Alabama at the time was that I could not birth with a midwife unless an OB was also present. Otherwise, that midwife could lose her license if it was found that she delivered my baby alone. Very different from Florida. And I just had to deal with that or be forced into what? A hospital birth? or do what countless women have done, which is leave the state. So I actually chose to do the latter. I said, no, I'm gonna do my research. I'm gonna go ahead and figure out what is normally supposed to be happening while I'm waiting to get into care, right? And I ordered stuff on Amazon to take my glucose, to take my urine on my own, to listen to my baby with a fetoscope. I was doing all the the blood pressure, mark, I was doing all the things on my own, until I could find a provider. And I actually landed on a provider in Chattanooga, Tennessee, who was a midwife as well. And all of my midwives have actually been, you know, white women. And my midwife was amazing. So again, like I always talk about this trend of birthing better, how do I make the birth better, right? And I'm like, starting from this situation how do you make it better and what she was able to infuse in me is like a very strong strong need to really look at the nutrition even deeper and to be very proactive you know being proactive even about things like gbs like how do you make sure that when you take that test you're likely to not have any of those you know um bacteria picking up on that test how do you have a more toxic, toxic-free toxic kind of environment, right? Because she actually was allergic to fragrance. She didn't handle any of that stuff well. So she told you, don't show up at my <laughs> appointments with lotions, with high fragrance. She was not about it. So it made me actually dip into more natural care products prenatally and also think about what am I using to clean my home so I was doing a whole lot of like semi-homemade kind of you know <laughs> like making my own laundry detergent I was doing all the things so I was like what's in what's in this what's in that so I'm reading labels even more and I was just evolving in that way and um still feeling very overwhelmed right still feeling a lot of anxiety because now a mom of three and trying to think like how am I how am i gonna do this you know so i had to deep deep deeply like ingrain myself in the community there so at the time we were um you know professing professing christians at the time so we were totally in the church we were tapped into like community there they were setting up like meal plans for me like meal trains i'm sorry for me So that postpartum period where I'm used to my mom cooking for me, or I'm used to, you know, my mom coming and helping me with the baby, they had folks from the church ready to go lined up um, to support my family for weeks with food, food to freeze. So we were, we had all of that kind of lined up and ready to go by 36 weeks, right? So this birth happens, right? And it has to happen in another state. So that's the other part. I have to really get good at listening to my body, knowing what's happening, anticipating when I need to get to Tennessee. And so the first time I think I'm really, you know, getting there, I think I'm really in labor. I'm feeling the pains. I'm feeling, you know, the cramping and it's consistent. And so I'm like, I think we should just go. Cause I don't, I'd rather be there early than late. Like And so, and there's like tons of mountains to get through. Like it it was not a game, it was two and a half hour drive. We get there and the midwife's like, it's not (laughs) time. So I'm just like, no, don't leave. I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave. Can I just (laughs) stay? so we stayed and had like a three day or two day, uh, like baby moon of sorts, right? Like just kind of like hung out, did all the things. What can we do to induce this? And I always had my babies, you know, before my due date. So that's the other thing too. I was just like, I don't think I'm going to go past my due date. Let me just stay. But ended up going back home, and then two days later we had to make that trip, and um finally was able to have the baby. And the plan was at this point, wait, now I have two little ones that I have to manage during this birth, and that brought on anxiety. So the plan was, hey have your sister, my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law come and meet us. Cause they live in Georgia and it's a two and a half drive for them. So when we knew we were leaving, we, we told them and we're like, Oh, it's going to be seamless. They're going to show up at the same time. They had a flat tire, <laughs> So the middle life assistant was playing the role of babysitting my, my youngest and my other, my two oldest. Right while i was in labor trying to do a water birth and i was you know i just remember being distracted but also annoyed because i didn't know it was a tire issue i was like i can't believe these people did not show up on time (laughs) i'm so annoyed um but then finally you know being able to birth that was a six hour from start to finish from you know from the time i was in labor to to getting there it was six hours so it was a very precipitous birth um, and it was wonderful. My first ever water birth, very smooth and easy, no pressure, no drama. I never really was like, you know, hemorrhaging or anything crazy like that. And um had a, had a wonderful experience.
0: And baby was not OP this time.
1: No. <laughs>
0: baby found the positioning. Um, that's a lot to manage. That is a lot to manage. Um, and I mean, I'm thinking about all of your your pregnancies and, and birth so far. And like, you know, we all we, we tell people all the time, like, here's here's the spectrum of birth, but birth is going to do what birth's going to do. And even with one person, it's going to be different. And so you really do have to surrender to the process but also control the things that you can and so it did require you to like learn this new power in yourself of really trusting what felt right to you trusting what made sense for your body and your baby um like you had to lean and tap into that hard for this for this birth and this pregnancy um and how did you take yeah how did you take that into your postpartum um, how did, yeah, and how did postpartum care work with being um, that far from your, your mm-hmm. midwife?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I was used to being able to tap into some of her skill sets. So she she also was able to do acupuncture. She's an acupuncturist. So dealing with that level of anxiety and stress and worry, like I tap into different modalities to address some of that. And acupuncture is one of them. And so I couldn't really tap into that and know anyone else that I trusted. So the plan was to at least let's, let's bring home here to Alabama. Um, so that looks like getting my mom on a flight to come and join me and I'm Haitian. So every single time I, I uh, um, gave birth in the postpartum period, we would do what we call the Haitian bang uh, or the Haitian bath, right? Which is like a steam bath, vaginal steam bath that we do and you know there's these teas that we have to drink and you know they just go ham on you with these leaves <laughs> to kind of restore your body and get these you know essential oils from these leaves and herbs into your body so you can kind of have this restoration um happen in your body and i'll like, say mommy i need you to come and do that please come." so she stayed with me um i want to say for at least a week or two and that was really helpful, um, very, very helpful. And again, kind of reinforced like, oh, she's been rocking with you, stop playing, <laughs> you know? Stop playing, you know? Did she, you know, completely stop the, you know, the, the recommendations? No, but we, we love her anyway. And I just remember feeling a lot of gratitude and um, gratefulness because not everybody has their mommy, you know, right there with them or even someone close to them to support them or help them in this process. So the, the good thing was we were in our own space. Um, so that was helpful to finally be in our own space <laughs> and navigate things and have our own roles to the whole process.
0: I love how you said, um, bring home to Alabama um, and that being specifically your mom, but also that that tradition that lives in, um, the experience of anyone who's birthing. Um, so I just, I love that. I love that that's what felt like, yes, we, to make this full circle, to come, like, to really set in what I need, I need home to come find me. Um, so yes. And I think for, for, it's, it's good to hear that and we've talked about it with a couple other of our storytellers who have those like deeply rooted traditions. Um, how how important and powerful that can be to our healing when we um, allow that to happen to us. Um, you know, many of those things are like, oh, the new thing. And it's like, no, we've been doing that. It's been a part of the, it's been a part of the experience, the culture for a while. Um, it's Ooh. not something new and being able to come back to that. And, and like you said, come having home come to you and just how integral that can be. Um, yes. That's what went off in my head when you said that. So, um, all right. Number four. Tell us about number
1: four. <laughs> <laughs> number four. <laughs> oh, boy, they number four. Oh, my goodness, I should have named them so you all could be tracking. So number one is Genoa. Number two was Jonathan. And number three was Jonas. And just a comment on Jonas. Jonas is my sugar, love ball, lots of hugs, kisses, cuddles. That's his jam. Um, And we've been working with him on emotionally, like where he's at, right? And how he can go from one extreme to the next. And I truly believe he was living at one point my experience in that pregnancy, right? Because I was going from one extreme to the next, you know? Um, And we finally learned how to be a little bit more flexible, (laughs) you know? that things may or may not go exactly as planned, but that's okay, right? So um, you can still adjust, you can still thrive in whatever environment you're in, right? So that was one thing I definitely wanted to highlight. And so again, on this quest to birth better, I was like, what can we do to birth better? And what's beautiful about the fourth story that I feel is like, I know it's the grand finale, okay, because <laughs> I'm done having kids. Is that um he was birthed out of a situation where the relationship was hard. <laughs> Let's just say that. So when I say extra oopsie, it was an extra oopsie, but it was an intentional extra oopsie, if that makes sense, right? And that time of year where he was born was 2016. so circle 2016 black men in america black boys in america me being a mom of all boys i was nervous and i had to get this name right (laughs) you know and our decision to name this baby had a lot to do with what we were watching in the news, with what we were experiencing, the evolution of where we we're at spiritually, and feeling like we need to do justice with this birth. And that's what we named him, Justice. And I remember going to my baby shower, it was all Afrocentric themed and everything. And not having a name yet. (laughs) And it was going to be a gender reveal at at the same time for the rest of the group. We knew we were having a boy, but it was funny to let people guess that it was going to be a girl. And deciding in the car on the way there, having never talked to each other about the name at all, that this name would be the name for this baby. And when I say it was like truly justice, because his birth, was actually drawn out during my doula training back in 2015. That's the crazy part. The other thing that's really cool is I was a doula when I gave birth to him. So now you would anticipate, hey, you went from a 20-hour birth to a 12-hour birth to a six-hour birth. This one's gonna be super quick and easy, but it was not <laughs> because, um. Again, when, when you have life circumstances and challenges and, st- and and now we're still living at my parents' house again, okay, and this overwhelming feeling of having your hands full because that's all anyone can tell you, right? When they see three kids in your belly, they're just like, oh, you're ju- you just have your hands full that anxiety and depression and grief kind of came over again. And what I had to lean into was my professional knowledge and experience at that time, which is to still trust my body, to still know my body can do this again, no matter what's going on. Right. And to know that I had a history to back me up. So I just led with that intention. And what I had drawn out in my doula training before I even got pregnant, before I even had this baby, was an image of me in a water tub. Right. And two midwives were present, two like birthing assistants or doulas were present. I had the partner behind me vocalizing, oh, wow, she's about to have this baby in a little word bubble. And I had drawn the picture of the baby, like the baby's head is coming out down below. And my face, on my face was a smile. And that's what I drew out. And on the day that I had to give birth, my partner was playing um, music at a local church. I was at my midwife's home, again, to, um, to give birth and he like there was a decision like am i gonna have this baby now because i'm not doing this no you need to be here <laughs> like you you help make this baby you need to be here you're not missing any bit of this so i took myself with those two like doula slash midwife assistants and we sat in the congregation while wow. i was in labor <laughs> and just labored on and just was breathing and they're watching me they're timing it and we're just you know, because we not have this baby without you. Okay. And then I ended up having lunch. I had breakfast. I did not miss a meal that day. We just took our time. And I remember getting into the pool to kind of like allow my body to relax a little bit because it had been, you know, extended period of time, probably about 12 hours at that point of being in labor. And then I remember. And it's so funny because at the time I didn't realize it, but I remember my midwife said, "Oh, my friend's gonna come over." And I was like, well, "Who's this friend?" How about it was another midwife? <laughs> and then I remember walking around her island in her kitchen, eating food, watching. I want to say it was maybe the the Golden State Warriors versus. The heat or something like that was going on on basketball, and just eating and picking at food. And then I remember um, my midwife kind of watching what's going on and the intensity saying, hey, maybe you might want to do some nipple stimulation. So I sat on the toilet, feet up, heels together, and my partner did nipple massage. And within a minute, I was like, stop, (laughs) it was intense. All these contractions started up and I was like, I'm ready. Like, let's go. So the pool was already ready. I get in the pool and one of the midwife assistants was actually the sister of the birth photographer. And this is the first birth where I actually had an actual like birth photographer, like somebody who wanted to take pictures and video for me. And that's what she did. And so from the images and the video that I saw, I remember just vocalizing a lot, smiling, still being able to laugh through certain things. And my middle wife saying, Hey. your baby's coming do you want to put your hand down to feel it and i was like yeah sure and i felt the water bag and everything and i felt it release in the water like it was amazing i felt the baby's head i felt the hair i felt the baby turn its head perfect oa position this time (laughs) and i just remember feeling joy like for real for real like this is it like i always want to like tear up crying about it but it was amazing it was super smooth even though it was long right and i was just like okay what happened what brought me here and i'm sorry i tell stories like out of order sometimes but what brought me here what did i need to kind of like release and let go during that day and i remember you know maybe six hours plus prior taking a very long walk around the neighborhood talking to the, one of the doulas there about just the relationship and where we're at and releasing and crying and letting go and i think that really was a pivotal shift in my laboring process at the time so when i came back i could go into that pool together with it you know when i came back i could just just welcome the sensations and just be open to, to still experiencing joy, but exactly what I drew was actually manifested, which is so crazy to me. And so that's why I always stress to, to clients, you know, make it a point to Im- imagine and envision what that dream birth looks like, because it's absolutely possible and the more you set your intentions towards it and you identify what's possibly going to get in the way of that. And release, you know, those things that you can control. um Then I feel like you you increase your odds of having that. So that was that burn. It was amazing.
2: <laughs> How would you say? When you look at your birth work career and you encompass all the your own personal birth experience, what has been like the most um, influential part of your own personal experiences for your birth work?
1: I think the fact that it was positive every time and that I did improve the birthing process each time, whether it was in my decision making, whether it was in my choosing of the provider right like you got something going right stick with that provider (laughs) right i didn't switch it up too much not intentionally especially with the third one that wasn't my intention but i was very selective about who it was that i chose to be in my birthing space and i really valued expertise right and what was beautiful or unique about that third pregnancy the one in um chattanooga was that that midwife i chose i chose her because her backup midwife was in my city, in Alabama. So that's, that was the, I needed to have that peace of mind, right, to know that wherever I am laboring, going to give birth, I have access to that expertise. That was important to me. Um, What was disappointing to me was calling around and at the time not being able to find, you know, whether it was a doula or a childbirth educator who could direct me. So when I think about my career, it's always about a navigation, right? Like, how do I expertly navigate this family, so that they can get their questions answered so that they can get the childbirth education that's going to like, really prepare them and build up that confidence so that they can get that encouragement and that emotional support. Um, But then also to make sure that if they need extra hands, that I'm available, right? That that whoever I'm sending into their home for lactation support can really provide also full on postpartum support, right? So lactation training became very important to me as well. So I became a CLC for that reason. Then when I think about other professional development, adding on another doula training, right? So I did DONA, I also did um, Common Sense Childbirth, um, Institute as well as my official certification. Then I also did hypnobirthing. Got trained, you know, by the president of hypnobirthing on purpose because I knew that I needed to add value not only to what I was doing as a professional, but add value to whoever it is that I serve.
0: And so, with your own personal journey, you also mentor other birth workers. And what does that work look like? And then what are you um, leaving with them to take when they're supporting families?
1: So so right now it looks like I'm based in Miami-Dade, but I am serving mentees all over the country. And it looks like facilitating these major lessons, right, that I feel every doula needs to make sure they understand when it comes to who it is they're serving, how they're serving them, and what exactly you need to do to maintain a successful doula business. That's where I come from. And my approach is to take what I've learned in my business coaching and all of these incubators that I've been a part of business incubators and professional development that I've gathered over the years and try to infuse it in a way that's not as, I would say, pressure ridden, right? So, and, and, and we do it from the lens of doula work, right? Birth work. Because what happens is nobody, well not nobody, Most people who are doing business incubators and things like that are not necessarily thinking about the doula industry in that regard. Right. And so what's unique is I'm taking it from that perspective. Right. And I'm doing the hard work, having worked with multiple pregnancy agencies and doula agencies here and seeing how the different businesses are ran, seeing what the offerings are and saying, Hey, Here's how you can uniquely position yourself to do not only what you are called to do, but do what you're actually really amazing at, right? Because sometimes as doulas, we come out of our training and we worry about inadequacy. We worry about not having the experience and the certain number of births under our belt. And so I'm, I'm here to say, hey, you just came out of this. If you're called to this right? If you know in your heart that you have those innate skills to nurture, support, and comfort a family, you can do this work. And you can do it and be successful and maintain a living wage. And so my work right now is all about um, standardizing this Metro Mommy way of doing this work, of doing doula work, and leveraging partnerships that I have to see how we can infuse it as a standard in these different settings so right now i'm working on some work as it relates to creating a pilot doula program with some local partners and one of the things we're going to make sure these doulas have is mentorship you know mentorship from my company
0: it is this work is not work to be done alone it takes community
1: one of the things that i am very intentional about is what i call profit sharing right like it makes no sense for me to say hey because i want to bring more income and um and it's no judgment to anybody who does it but this is how i feel like we can keep dollars in our community and also avoid burnout, right? So if I have a doula, even if it's a doula mentee, I have no problem saying, hey, you provide the vaginal steam baths. You provide the massage therapy. I will put you on. I will figure out a way to add your service into my package so that we all win. The client wins, you win, we all win, right? Because i i knew that i had put in a lot of work in terms of my visibility and you know some of the marketing strategies that i've used so people are finding me kind of organically i've not put a ton of money into like advertisements and things like that but they don't know me as a placenta encapsulation person or you know a massage therapist but guess what my clients still get those services because I believe in supporting other black businesses um, and making sure that I don't feel like I have to burn myself out, go learn another skill. Like, I I don't have time for that. I want to do, I want to stay in my zone of genius, you know, and right now it's leaning, you know, away from direct services, actually, because of my scheduling and the consulting work that I'm doing and working on different grants. But that doesn't mean I can't, recommend a client of mine to a practitioner who can provide dancing for birth. For example, I have someone right now, like it's almost like infusing it into my way of doula support at this point, whatever those other specialties are become very important to achieving the success that I want the clients to have with their birth.
2: Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners, whether it be your like resources that you utilized or any personal advice.
1: All right, so some advice I'd like to share is what I believe I've learned in the process of giving birth has a lot to do with finding balance, right? (laughs) It's been overwhelming to see folks say, how do you do it? How do you do it? and try to strive for balance per se because when we think about what balance is and what we've been i guess trained to think about it it looks like this status quo where you're perpetually good (laughs) like you are in a good place mentally physically emotionally and there's not always necessarily An experience of that at all times, right? Like you may experience periods where you feel balanced and periods where you are unbalanced. So, what I have chosen to do instead is to strive on making my boundaries very clear so that I can experience more balance, right? So, I live by, breathe by, balance is boundaries. You know, that's That's my thing, that's what enables me to do what I do. That might look like I need to take a nap. I don't care if it's a two minute nap. I don't care if it's a five minute nap. I don't care if it's an hour and a half. I'm gonna make sure I take a nap. (laughs) That's the way that I can kind of keep doing this work at the level that I'm doing it and have the perspective that I have on a regular basis. So for those who might be listening, who may be like, I'm about to do this again, maybe number two, three, four, whatever it is, sometimes it's not about the balance part. It's really just about how can I get clearer about my boundaries? What is acceptable? What is needed for me to thrive? What do I don't need? What do I need to cut out? Who do I need to cut out (laughs) so that I can... Thrive and be successful and raise this baby, you know, as best as I can. That's what I would say is some advice for you all. Um, As far as what I really want you to remember about Metro Mommy um, Agency is that we are very interested in making sure that the birth stories that are being created... um, Every day in our community by the support of doulas, you know, doula assisted births that we are capturing that in some way, shape or form, whether it's through data collection, research, or even making it easier for folks to access, you know. So that's why the Momcha program exists to connect doula providers um, with clients that otherwise would not have found us and needed their provider like their healthcare provider to make that referral happen and that's something i would love to have transform care all over our country you know just ease up the access for folks and make sure that we have more than just our clients advocating for doula care but also providers advocating for it as well so if that's something anyone's interested in having in their hometown, home city or state or wherever, please connect with me. Um, Cause I'd love to make sure you have some kind of infrastructure like that at your home as well. Thank, Thank you, Esther. Esther. Thank you. This is awesome what y'all are doing. The reason why this even <laughs> popped up for me, I was searching for positive birth stories and then you all came up and I was like, oh my gosh, I've had some Yay! positive birth stories I wanna share. <laughs> because <laughs> you know? I want to do an event related to that locally mm-hmm. here where we highlight that right because we mm-hmm. hear about all the negative we hear about all the bad things all the time and I'm just like but what about the good stories right mm-hmm. like those stories that can hopefully inspire people and one of the things I notice, even as a doula is that when I come across different partners or stakeholders in the community, cause I manage and facilitate different community meetings. When I tell people I'm a doula, they're ready to share their birth story with me. Like almost right away. They're like, this is the opportunity. This is a safe space. <laughs> so I just love the space that you all have created. Oh, and you. I think it's so important. Um, to just continue gathering these stories um, because this is this is what birth looks like. In color. <laughs> in color.
0: Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.